For those of you who are visiting, we've been in the book of Matthew for a while, and we're just digging in, and we're just going through it section by section, not necessarily verse by verse, but really getting the major themes of this storyline of Jesus' life. Uh, We're in Matthew 11 uh, uh, today. Last week, Jason uh, taught on a section of Scripture um, really Jesus is not just establishing, but reestablishing, specifically to John the Baptist, his case as Messiah, as the Christ. And, and uh, we, we taught from the scripture, it talked about after Jesus was instructing the 12 disciples, uh, he went to the towns of Galilee. And John at that time, John the Baptist was in prison. He heard about all that was going on and he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jason did an amazing job of just unpacking what that might have been like for John to be in prison at that time for his faith and uh, asking that question, maybe going through a deep season of doubt. Um, But, I mean, some of the encouragement that could come from that, but then also so many of the answers that come during that time. If you haven't had the opportunity, we want to encourage you to go back uh, online and listen to uh, what Jason taught on that. And the thing that Jason brought out, a couple of things he brought out, one of the things that was so significant that I thought was that Jesus focused on the good news of what was being reported as evidences that he was there. Of all the good things that were going on, that potentially maybe they talked about, you know, when this happens, this is what's going to happen. And you can just remember that this is, this is going to come to pass, and that was encouraging. And I left here thinking last week personally that too often we are basing our evidences of faith upon our dark times and the times in which it seems like, God, where are you, right? And one thing I've learned about my faith journey is when I say, when I feel like God is not present, it's usually not God who's not present. It's usually me. And so whenever in those times that I begin to struggle, what I left with last week was the reminder of of the times when he has shown himself, in my life, to go back to those moments. You know those moments where you go and it happens and you're like, man, God was so obvious there. I'm never going to forget that. And then you forget about it. Go back to those moments to be reminded when he did show up and when he was there. And so I just wanted to encourage you with that. And let's uh, pray and we'll pick up actually in verse 16. All right, so Matthew 11, verse 16. Um, God, we just ask that you would guide us in this time that we would look into your word, that we would see it as living that we would see the significance of what was going on 2,000 years ago and then the significance of what it means today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 16. To what can I compare this generation, Jesus is teaching? They're like little children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. I'll stop there for a minute. I don't know those of you who ever do uh, family reunions. Do you guys do family reunions? You ever get together once a year, once whatever, and you're like, gosh, I'm related to that, and oh, I'm related to that. Um, we get together every now and then. I, I have memories of getting together with my families over the years, especially when I was younger, and hanging out with my cousins was always fun, and you know, you'd always be warned by mom and dad, the good cousins and the bad cousins to hang out with and everything. And I one of, the, one of the fun times that I found in listening, in listening to Jen and knowing Jen over the years, something that is consistent with kids when families get together is the kids always do the performances, right? They do the shows, the programs. You called them programs. Um, where you would come out and you would perform for all of the, uh, all of the, uh, 
all of the adults, right? And so I remember doing this and putting on our, and it became a competition between the cousins and we would come out and, and, and sing horrible songs. And, and my cousins, uh, some of my cousins were like professional cloggers. So they would come out and just kill everybody. It was Eastern Tennessee, you know? Um, and I remember being like, dang it, you know, next year we'll get you. Um, but I remember there kind of being this crazy um, balance for parents as they would observe this of enjoying the show, which they did. But now as a parent, I've realized that it's just as much about enjoying the silence as they send you away to prepare for the show. <laughs> Mom and dad, you know what I'm talking about? Why don't you put together a program? Okay, spend the next four hours in your room. There was something to that. One thing I realized is that um, while they love us, while they loved us, right, they never really took our craft that serious, you know. It was in that moment. It was a little bit more Jester's Court than it was American Idol, you know. It was, it was putting up, enjoying, enjoying that moment, but it wasn't thinking, wow, you know, there's a future here. <laughs> so that came to mind as I'm reading this scripture because I'm, it's saying we're like children sitting in the marketplaces. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. There was a common custom among the Jewish children um, when they would play with other children to imitate specifically the grown-up people in marriage ceremonies and funerals. And so it was common for the kids to get together and put on performances for the parents where they would do rejoicing and they would be lamenting, but being, it was all in jest. It was all uh, in, in fun. And as I was studying this scripture and reading some commentaries on what this is talking about was what was really known for was that it was all in jest, but it made no impression on the parents. That this was going on and it was, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Oh, that was wonderful, you know. But it wasn't really in deep consideration of what was going on because it was, it was play. It wasn't real. There was no impression. And so this is the context. Jesus is saying, this is what this generation is like. We played the pipe, you did not dance, we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. And then he goes on and it says, for John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon, John the Baptist. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why is this, why is Jesus bringing this up? Why do you think he would bring this up? Anything come to mind? Who is he addressing, you think? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. They didn't take him serious. And, and in fact, Jesus had just gone back and really built John the Baptist up, didn't he? He said, you're, you're the, you are the one. You're like Elijah. I mean, you are building him up that he was to be taken serious. But they didn't. They didn't take him serious because they said what? He was neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. So he was just wheels off, right? It was just too much. They couldn't identify with that. Um, so it made no impression. But 
But then he says, well, then so the son of man came the exact opposite way, and he made no impression. What is um, the implications here, you think? Well, huh? Okay. So he's saying you're not happy either way. What does that mean? What is the struggle? What is the problem with that? Huh? We build our own God. Does that make sense? Explain that. They say we're constantly coming up with our own idea of God, and we're not even sure what it looks like at times. It's either A or it's B, right? And then and sometimes we don't know what it, we, what it should look like or it's, he's supposed to look like, but then there's times where we know what we want him to look like, and we want what we want him to care about, what we don't want him to care about, and things that may be a little schizophrenic about that. What else comes to mind? Anyone else a thought on it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe too caught up on judging the book on, on its cover, um, too superficial on the outside, the exterior. Anything else? I think you're right. I, I think there's a lot of implications here that are a piece of everything that was said is, is possibly a piece of why it was being said. I think on, the, on the, the most surface, when I read that, the first thing that came to my mind is speaking to those who needed to understand he was the Messiah. Those who needed to, they've been hoping for something, looking for something. They were very religious. They were living out According to the law, you know, of course it got messed up because we're human a little bit. Um, and then two different things, and neither of them were good enough, you know. Picked apart each of them. Someone else, did you raise your hand? There's something else. Any other thoughts? Yeah. So she said it exposes insecurity. In who? I keep wanting to say the religious, but I think it's just people. I have here a question. Implications to them, implications to us, they're always so similar. Are they not? Yeah. Don't get ahead of me again. What? Just these verses. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, so he's setting something up here, right? He set it up with the kid talk about well, this generation is just like a bunch of kids in gestures court saying all that, you know, whatever. Um, and then if you really think about it, heck, you know, John came and he was as committed as it could be. He wouldn't eat anything. He didn't think he should eat. He didn't drink anything that he didn't think he should drink. He didn't wear fancy clothes. He just came and you thought this guy's crazy. He has a demon. Then son of man came hanging out with people, eating, got beyond the law, drank, accused him of being a glutton and a drunk. He wasn't, he wasn't good enough for you either. And then it goes on and says, but wisdom is proved by her deeds. That was a huge uh, verse for me this week as I was 
looking through this, just kind of praying for wisdom, um, thinking about our world right now, thinking about some of the social issues that are hammering us in, in our nation and praying for that. And then this is the verse that I read, wisdom is proved right uh, by her deeds. So let's move on. I, I just wrote these thoughts. Who are, who are we then? Um, I often critique the hyper-religious for being too much, often critique the anti-religious for being too different. Um, but then I was also encouraged a little bit because we each try to live our faith out in certain ways that we feel called to or that we feel maybe our stories have pushed us into certain environments of doing ministry, uh, that you're in good company when you're accused. If you're being accused for trying to live out the gospel. Um, so it sets it up, right? He says, uh, he says, didn't receive John. You didn't see, receive me, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And then it goes on in the second section of verse 20, and it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Repent means to change, to change your, really it's like 180 degrees, to change the way you're, you think about something. To repent sin means to acknowledge that it is sin and to confess it, to repent of it, and to move away from it. What stands out to you? And then that whole paragraph goes on to talk specifically about certain towns and the destruction of the judgment that would come to them. But that first verse, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. What stands out to you about this verse? What's unique about this verse, you think? Okay, do you think I didn't, I, so you're saying that most of his miracles have been done, performed in one place. I think it was in a, in a few places, but there was some intentionality about where that was happening, right? What's, anything strike you interesting about that verse, about this situation? So it was in the places where he did all this work that no one changed. How can that happen? So people were hearing about it and they were coming and they were, being changed, but it was just saying in the very places where most of the miracles were performed, people were missing it. It was, it was interesting. That, that's it. To me, that was the first thing that stood out. Anything else? I mean, they seemed like the most likely to repent, right? They saw it. Anything else? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Other people, Jesus, just give me a sign, right? Then I'd forever be committed. Here's your sign. Good, what else? You know what struck me here? Is that there was a timeline. There was a point where Jesus went to this place and he, he performed miracles and he did these amazing things and extended grace and mercy to these people and he healed people and he brought them hope and he spoke this right in front of them and he and then there, was a, then there was a time where he came back and he began to denounce those ten. There was a season of grace. There was, and, and you have to use that phrase loosely because that can mean many different things. But there just seemed like there was this season post-miracles that they just had an opportunity to respond. And then there just came a point where Jesus just said, okay, man, I'm just going to start calling you out now. So first section of this, he's talking about 
not receiving John, not receiving him, um, but then pointing us towards uh, deeds. And then the second section, um, rem, uh, reminding the, the deeds and the miracles and the things that had been performed in these towns, but the unique thing that the people who saw them uh, did not repent. And Jesus began to denounce uh, the people in, in these towns. And then it moves on to verse 25, kind of this final section of this chapter. And it explains what happened. It says, at this time, at that time, so he just said, all this destruction, all this judgment is going to come on you because you heard all, you, this was all happening and, and you did not repent. And at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay. So based on what we've read already today, whom does the Son choose to reveal himself to? I mean, in in fact, it just... That's the little children. What is that representative of? Hmm? Innocence? Right. Yeah. No one knows until the Lord chooses to reveal. So I think when I'm reading this scripture, I'm 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 looking at um it almost seems like a switch, like Jesus is revealing himself to people and they don't repent, and so he denounces them, but then he says, you're not going to see it unless I reveal it to you, right? So it's almost like, well, why would you, if you did not reveal that fully to them, only those you fully reveal yourself will understand that, then how can you denounce them if, because obviously you weren't revealed, is he coming back on his word? What's not matching up in, the, in this scenario? Is it, did the people in those towns not um, repent or fully see him because Jesus didn't do the miracles or they, they couldn't see the deeds or because God just decided, you know what, these towns, I'm just, no one's going to understand what's going on here. Was that what happened? I think it's, maybe, maybe I'm not communicating well. Maybe it's complicated. What, what I'm looking at, as, I, as I'm reading this scripture, I'm just reminded over and over that it's the humble, it's the children, it's the posture before God that is required in order for him to reveal himself to us. One of the very first beatitudes Jesus taught in Matthew 5, it was the first, was blessed are the poor in spirit, which means spiritually impoverished, those who understand, those of us who see our spiritual poverty, that we understand it's not our religiousness, religiousness, it's not our ability to perform, it's not our ability to do or even wisdom, as the scripture is pointing out, but it's a humility before Christ to which we will hear him. I, I do think that Jesus was... Re- 
revealable or seeable in these towns where the miracles were. I think what happened was it's the religious attitude that we take that then blocks us from being able to see it or to hear it. I don't believe God is random. I don't believe he just goes, no, 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 yeah, I'll reveal myself to you. No, 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 yeah, I'll reveal myself to you. I think this scripture is reminding us of us understanding our spiritual poverty and our place and our need for Messiah, our need for Christ. And it's just so interesting to me that when we're struggling spiritually and we sense God is far away, I default into religious things. Don't you at times? I'm learning not to do that as much, but then I'm like, oh, God, I need to go to church more. I want to do this more. I got to do that thing more. I got to, God's punishing me because I did that or whatever. And this is a reminder that the posture of our heart is the most significant thing. That when we step back and we confess sin for what it is, and we, and we truly recognize and acknowledge who we are and who we are not outside of Christ, that we begin to truly see what he's doing. And this is, I think it's a super big warning for us because things were right before their eyes in multiple forms and yet they missed it. And, and here's the thing. I skipped a verse on purpose, verse 15, which comes right before all of this. It just says this, whoever has ears, let him hear. So I think about the times I keep God at arm's length and I miss him. Um, you ever do that? Are there areas in your life, or do you ever keep God at arm's length? You're like, you know, what are the reasons we do that? What are some reasons that you feel like you're not as vulnerable with God? So we'll just announce them to all of us. You can't announce them to God, but tell everybody out loud. You know? um, other people, what are some things that you've heard other people say <laughs> where they keep God at arm's length? Control. What else? Trust. Do we really trust you, God? God, do you really want what's best for me? What else? Pardon me? Oh, yeah. God, I know what you're going to say here, so let's just pretend I don't have a question. I'm doing great. Conviction. Ooh. What else? Exposure, what do you mean? Oh, being vulnerable, right. When you maybe not understand what he's doing. Yeah. Ooh, what? Nah. Get it? A couple of things came to my mind. I... Um, Sometimes we keep God at arm's length because of the church we see and we don't like. Now, you're in church today. Some of you here are here painfully. Um, I, I meet a lot of people all the time, and when they talk about God, they can't, they can't talk about God. They just talk about the people and the church, arm's length, other believe, believers. And, you know, the word disillusioned, might, it might not be a fair word there. Um, 
But then there's the other things where I keep God at arm's length because I don't want to give up my way of living, fill in the blank, whether it's control or whether it's the answer, whether it's vulnerability or whatever, finances, whatever. We're just afraid. And it seems like there's, there's kind of innocent reasons, like, and then there's more selfish, direct reasons. Um, <laughs> pride. Um, but I think this scripture really gives us an opportunity for some introspection in general, or maybe... Maybe in general, you're just keeping God at arm's length and you're just like, I just don't even know how serious I want to take you at all. Or maybe it's some areas you just fully embrace it, but other areas that you hide back, we keep back here, like not this piece, you know, maybe certain areas. I think, I think there are three reasons in this scripture why I, I see mentioned in these three sections, um, why we do that. And I think maybe this pulls it back together. Um, I think the first part, verses 15 through 19, when it's talking about the kids and the performance and really made no impression, I think a lot of times we're just not really taking it in. We're not serious about it. That's not that profound, but I think there's things we do. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. If I just trust God, I know, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You do that? I do that. I'm like, yeah, I know that part. Then where's wisdom? What does it say? Wisdom is, is, is um, proven by your deed. Um, not really taking it in. You're seeing the performance, you're seeing the action, you're hearing the music. We're doing that. There are areas in our lives where we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, but we have not allowed it to really penetrate, whether it's our heart or our mind, whatever it is, there are areas. So maybe there's an area you're holding him at arm's length at or in some way, and and maybe I, I think there are areas in which we just don't allow it to chip away at the surface. We're just not, we just don't. Can we just be honest about it? Sometimes we do that. All right? Um, and I think the next one is from the, from the second part where it talks about the towns that saw all the miracles, but they didn't um, repent. I think the second reason is, is that we're just not, many times we're just not really willing. Like, no, this section, this area is mine, God. This is yours. This is mine. So we struggle in this area all the time. And the reason is not because God's not big enough or his grace is because we're just, we are too stubborn about it. We are not willing in this area. We will not bend in profession, in our home, in our uh, relationships. We'll give them all of this, but we're not going to give them this piece, right? So maybe one, we're fooling ourselves. We think we're listening, but we're not really considering it. Then maybe two is we're considering it. We've already made the decision. We're just not going to do it. All right. And I think the third one, when it talks about this difference between religion and humility in a different posture, is I think many times we're trying, but we're leaning too much on our own wisdom instead of like a childlike wisdom. Leaning too much on our wisdom than his wisdom. The scripture I I love, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Um. And it always ends in a promise. This is, this is the context in which we read this scripture we hear all the time. This is where it comes. So, so all this stuff, you're not really taking me serious when I tell you you're about this stuff. This area, you're not even considering it. You're blowing me off. You're not taking it serious. This area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we just keep holding on to it. And in this area, you just, you're going, this doesn't make sense. Or I'm thinking I'm doing this, but it doesn't make sense. And we're leaning on our own, our own wisdom. Then he comes back and he says, here's the deal. Come to me. 
whatever it is, all those areas, I don't know what they are. He says, come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, stop doing that or I'm going to beat you up at this point. He says, come to me, all who are weary. And that word weary, it's like weary is when you're just, just had enough. God, I'm just, this thing, it owns me. I've just had an, I don't, I'm at the end. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know why you are in that place, but the invitation is the same. The invitation is to rest and to learn. Let's pray.